Let's pray together. So here we are, Jesus, together, not together physically, but together via this gift of technology. And even more than that, we're united by your spirit who's at work in each of us as your people. And we're united by our belief, not a religious mantra recitation, but a deep life-giving belief and trust in who you are. And so would you, would you galvanize us Deepen our roots. Breathe into us during this time. Thank you for this passage of Psalm 23. And we need to hear from you. And I pray for each of my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in all of these different places. Uh, there are the fears for health and uh, there are the stresses of finances and, and job stuff, relational stuff. Would you shepherd each of us? Would you re restore us? Breathe into us. And I ask this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen. Amen. Well, hello, Northland. We're so glad that you are joining us. And here we are spread out, not just across Central Florida, but a lot further away than that. And uh, we're grateful that you're connecting. Just know that if you, you need to let us know areas where we can serve you, northlandchurch.net slash update regarding all of the pandemic and different things that are taking place. I think there's still room for some Easter groups that were formed. You want to join that. But we want to walk with you during this time. And one thing that we also want to do is continue going through a very familiar passage of Scripture, almost too familiar, the 23rd Psalm, and we're calling this series Replenish, Sanity for Our Souls, because a lot of us feel like, gosh, if I can, this thing has is, is got me right on the edge and I need sanity. And so let's spend some time unpacking a little portion of Psalm 23. Before I get there, I want to tell you about a gentleman named Kenneth Helpen. He's a professor of landscape architecture at the University of Oregon. And a number of years ago, he purchased a, a, a stereopticon, which is one of these early moving pictures. It's not really moving, but it's two lenses, the light behind it, and it's uh, projecting the same image onto a screen, and it gives the illusion that it's like 3D. So he purchased this, this thing at a flea market, but he didn't know what uh, images were already embedded in it. He got home and he saw that it was the image of a, a trench during World War I, a warfare trench in France, it turned out, with a garden in it. He was intrigued, something so horrific to have a garden in it. What's up with that? And of course, his landscape architecture uh, proclivity started kicking in. So he began doing some research. Throughout the 20th century, he started discovering that people in the midst of horrific circumstances would build gardens. In the trenches of World War I and the POW camps of World War II and the, and the ghettos of Warsaw in World War II and the Japanese-American internment camps. Time and time again, Sarajevo, places of great strife in the midst of those places, 
he started finding a variety of gardens. And he said, what these gardens turn out to be is an obstinate refusal to let the horror invade people's hearts. And he developed a name for them. He called them defiant gardens. So in the face of of crisis, in the face of storms, in the face of horror, people build a defiant garden that says, I will not let the brokenness and the ash overwhelm me. I am going to stand defiantly in the face of that and engage with that which is beautiful and that which is true and that which is good. And there's a sense that David, in Psalm 23, is venturing into this realm of a defiant garden. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 23. Let's read it together. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You can hear this defiant garden language. He says, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here he goes again with some defiant garden language. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Just as that garden is in the presence of the horror. He says, I'm going to eat what you provide for me. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So go back to verse 2 and verse 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's the language of a defiant gardener. Somebody that says, I'm going to take a posture in the midst of this crisis. Now, last week, I shared with you guys the quote by Blaise Pascal, one of my favorite quotes of his from the classic Pensee, which is, he wrote it, obviously, in French, the French mathematician, philosopher, passionate, ardent follower of Jesus. He said this, all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact that they cannot stay contentedly in their own house. And he wasn't in a quarantine, but he was saying, when you're in your own home, if you can't be contented there, Going outside is not going to change things. You've got to figure it out when everything gets quiet. So how do we do that? How do we learn to live contentedly in our own home? Let's take a look at that. And by in doing so, we're going to go back through verse 2 and the first part of verse 3 and do a little a restorative math, uh, some defiant garden arithmetic. It's, I'm, I'm not a big mathematician. Uh, I know that's a big shocker to you, so let's keep it real simple. Here we go. Here's, here's the equation I want you to take with you, and let's let it ricochet around during this week. Submission plus nutrition equals restoration. That's the math of restoration. Submission plus nutrition equals restoration. So let's go back through the text. Let's look at submission right now. What, what, what's involved in that? Go to the text, verse two, and verse, uh, right at the beginning of verse two, and see what he says. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. 
So he has an authoritative role. Now, will I respond to that or not? Will I respond in submission or not? That is the huge question. So here's what happens in terms of a defiant garden posture. In the midst of crisis, often we're tempted to let the crisis be what we submit to. And we end up taking the paths of least resistance by way of painkilling and uh, anesthetics and so forth. And it's not, obviously we don't want to cause ourselves pain, but at the same time, if we let all the difficult things in our lives dictate our lives, we're submitting to those difficult things and not to our shepherd. Instead of adopting the path of least resistance, what the defiant gardeners do is they say, we will, in the face of this difficulty, we're gonna cultivate something nourishing, something beautiful, something powerful, something that's life-giving. But you know what sheep typically do, what my default is, what your default is? In the midst of difficulty, we run, we scatter. We let the crisis uh, chase us in different directions. And so instead of Submitting before our shepherd and his leadership, we submit before the crisis and the lunacy of the crisis. So it's a choice that I've got to make. Will I submit before the crisis and all the lunacy and the panic it creates, or will I submit before the leadership of my shepherd? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, all of us like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a passage about Jesus, a messianic text. But we go astray because in our fallen condition, we try to find our own way. And God says that through the, the, the prophet Ezekiel, he says uh, that my sheep are scattered. They've wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched and looked for them. You and I, that's the definition of being lost. The fall creates within us a flight mentality in terms of difficulty. And uh, what the gospel invites us to do is turn and face in defiance that crisis. But we do so under the leadership of our shepherd, the shepherd who has sought us out, Luke. Chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came after us. He's coming after you and me in our quarantine. He says, okay, I know you've got a tendency to want to run. When we're in the desert, you know, when you get lost in the wilderness, you tend to pick up your pace. When you're in the desert and you're dying of thirst in the heat, initially, while we still have strength, we, we, we move faster. Now, in the quarantine, you can't go a whole lot. We can't go a whole lot of places. But what we will do is our hearts start racing. We get stressed and we, we get agitated. So what's the first step of submitting, of this whole notion of submission to my shepherd? It's me stopping and being still. He says, he makes me, he leads me. So there's making and leading stuff that he's doing in my life every day, even during this quarantine. But the question is, will I submit or will I keep racing on the inside? Marsha Harnock has rewritten Psalm 23. She says this, the clock is my dictator and I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression and it hounds my soul. 
It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. And even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me. Beyond the limits of my schedule, they anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. That's what our tendency is to get high paced and just to get frantic. And Jesus is coming to us and said, will you be still in my presence? In John chapter five, Jesus came across a man who had been by this pool of Bethsaida and it's a, it was a pool that was known to be a, a mineral pool of springs and if crippled people or sick people were to come into that pool, they could be healed. He had been there for 38 years and Jesus came to him and he asked him a bizarre question. 38 years he's been there, yet Jesus says this. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Of course he does, maybe not. Sometimes we get cemented in our own habits of rebelliousness. And it takes a crisis to either cement that even more and make us wander further or come back and instead of defying God, we defy God. The storm. What does he need to do in me during this quarantine? Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, this is fantastic because you're doing the work of the Lord. No, he says, guys, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now that's not passive, that's, it's restorative, it's active. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God, I'm, I'm in charge, I, I, I got this, I'm renewing all things, this will not interrupt my agenda. Psalm 37, verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That word wait, means to twist, right, to, to struggle. It's waiting before God is not a passive, hey, just kick back. It's something that requires discipline. It's like I've seen several people talk about getting a jar of river water and shaking it up and it's all the sediments going everywhere and that's kind of how we are. And, we, and all of a sudden, even though we've come into a quarantine and now we can't get out of our houses, we're still all churned up. And when I sub- start having a submissive posture before my shepherd, Instead of being submissive before the storm and letting it dictate, I let him start dealing with me in love and things get clarified and they settle. Which then prepares the way for the second part of the equation, submission plus nutrition. Submission plus eating right. What are you eating during the quarantine? Go back to the text. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. So these, the sheep that's been wandering and astray, now all of a sudden coming under in a submissive relationship with the shepherd, the shepherd now leads that sheep to food and drink 
that's nourishing, that, that's soul food. We, talk, we joke about liking soul food, but what about the real soul food? What is my diet looking like in the quarantine? How many bags of Cheetos can one human being eat? You know, we all have our little addictions, but I'm not referring to the physical food, but what about the food that either nourishes me or depletes me as a follower of Jesus, as a human being who is enabled to live to the glory of God un until I'm famished and I'm not eating right. Uh, Thomas Costain wrote a book called The Three Edwards. And it's a historical book looking at an archduke in the 14th century in what's now known as Belgium called Reynold III. And Reynold III was a very large man, obese, really. They, they, people would call him uh, by a Latin name, Crassus, behind his back, which meant fat. And his younger brother, Edward, revolted against the leadership of his older brother, and the revolt was successful, but he did not kill his older brother, but he took him sort of prisoner in the castle there, uh, the Newkirk Castle in Belgium that you can still see, uh, you can still see to this day some of the remains of, he built a large room for his older brother who was quite, quite obese. It had a door and windows, and he could come and go as he pleased. The problem was the door was just a little bit smaller than normal door, and it was too small for Reynold to be able to get through as obese as he was. And so his younger brother Edward said, you can leave anytime you want. And obviously it meant you've gotta change your diet. You gotta change what you eat. And to exacerbate his cruelty, he delivered every day to Edward, had servants deliver to, deliver to Reynold uh, junk food, basically. And he knew his brother couldn't say no. 10 years, his brother stayed in that room because, and he got larger and larger and larger. Then Edward was killed in a battle, and so Reynold was released, but he died a year later. And he was asked by some, why are you keeping your brother prisoner? And he said, I'm not keeping him prisoner. He's keeping himself prisoner. He's free to go anytime he wants to. When he decides to eat right. Am I eating right? Are you? This quarantine is an opportunity for us to not just do the binge watching, even though that might be fun at times and kind of a good hit of the pause button, but what is it about my soul that I most need. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse seven, for they sinned against the Lord, their verdant pasture. He's our verdant pasture. But when we, we get rebellious, we leave his nourishment. J J Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot deliver what they need. I've got two choices. I can go to that which will be the right nutrition for me or that which will be the wrong nutrition for me. First Kings, chapter 19, Elijah was exhausted. He needed to be nourished. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper of defiance against the crisis and a submission to his voice. Letting his voice rise above all of the other panicked voices that that creep into my soul in the midst of a crisis and say, I want to hear from you. Psalm 19, verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. How much of this am I eating? Not reading it in terms of a doing of religious devotions, but a, a... a devouring, a meditating, memorizing, finding his words and eating them. A Philippians chapter four, verse eight, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. So excellent and praiseworthy is what characterizes all of that. Eat those things. Think about those things. For me to build a defiant garden in the presence of a crisis in my life will involve me submitting before my shepherd and not the storm, but it will also involve me being uh, nourished, me eating what he wants me to eat. Looking at those words, that you can, there are three categories of that noble and true. Take a look. So there's goodness and truth and beauty, noble and pure goodness, true and right truth, lovely, admirable beauty. How much goodness, truth, and beauty am I eating on a daily basis? You say, well, I don't see anything that's good or true or beautiful in my life right now. Let the shepherd lead you. He's there to make me lie down, to lead me to those places in his word, in conversation, the good, the true, the beautiful. Is it possible for me to come out of this quarantine having lost a lot of weight that comes from junk food that was weighing down my humanity? And to say, you know what? It was restorative, this quarantine, ironically. Because I I constructed a defiant garden in the face of it. And I followed this restorative math that says submission before my shepherd plus nutrition provided by my shepherd equals restoration. Go back to the text. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And he restores my soul. My soul needs restoring, so does yours. We're fallen sheep, fallen human being, prone to wander. Lord, we all feel it. And what if this were an opportunity for us to let our shepherd lead and take the authoritative place in our lives. Instead of letting the storm dictate, let's let him dictate and be nourished by him and start seeing him restore us. The Chinese symbol for busyness is two parts. This part is heart and this is a negation. So busy involves me negating my heart So what is it that's going to nourish my heart right now? 
start letting that be part of my diet and start seeing a wholeness be restored and that hole in my soul come back. Douglas Copeland, the guy who invented the term Generation X many years ago, he wrote this. He says, now here is my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you're in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God, that I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving. I need God to help me be kind as I no longer seem to be capable of kindness. I need God to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter gave a little bit of a defiant garden recipe. Repent then, repent from your lack of submission to the shepherd. Repent from the nutrition, the, the, uh, the eating of mirages and the pursuit of junk food. Uh, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Could it be that this quarantine when I'm learning to live contentedly in my own house because instead of submitting to the storm, I'm submitting to my shepherd and he's feeding me and I'm starting to see renewal of who I am as a human being created to God's glory. Refreshed. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 25, God says, for I will satisfy the weary soul Guys, I pray this for you right now. And every languishing soul, I will replenish. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, Jesus says, all you are weary and burdened. And you know, right now in the quarantine, it could be that we're not running around physically because we're not able to go anywhere, but we're still weary and burdened on the inside. He says, I want you to come. In the midst of, in the face of this crisis, in the midst of the hurricane, in the midst of the pandemic, and build a garden of defiance against, not God, but the storm. And he says, let me replenish you. Come to me all you're weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Hmm. Now the Sistine Chapel is an absolutely majestic piece of artwork, the ceiling that Michelangelo uh, painted and, uh, for years, lying on his back. And fairly quickly after medieval <laughs> grime and soot started accumulating on that ceiling for hundreds of years, art historians and critics didn't think Michelangelo was very good with colors. That wasn't his strong suit. They said his strong suit is his structure. And then in 1984, they commenced a cleaning operation, a, re a restoration. And in great detail, started, they took 15 years to slowly remove the grime. I've been reading this novel about a spy who is a, um, 
uh, an art restorer. That's his cover, but he's a genuine art restorer. And the amount of detail and the, the, the accuracy of this novel that the guy has researched, taking hours to just do a square inch. And they worked for 15 years. And all of a sudden, what was muted started becoming beautiful to the point that the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel now is restored. It could be the grime of our fallenness. And it creeps up on us, creeps up on me. Can I build a defiant garden and submit before him in the face of this pandemic, in the face of my stress, in the face of all the different things that are messing with me? And start evaluating my nutrition and saying, I need his word and goodness and truth and beauty. And Jesus, I need you to restore me. I want to come out of this this quarantine restored. Isaiah, the Lord says, if you're a bruised reed, I want you to know I'm not going to break. If you're a smoldering wick, I'm not going to snuff you out. But what I want you to do is come under my leadership, submit to me. Come under my nutrition. Let me be your dietitian. And let me begin to wipe the grime off of you and put you back together. And so 2020 pandemic, we'll look back on and you'll say, it was an awful thing. But in the midst of the awfulness, I learned to cultivate a defiant garden and submit before my shepherd. Let me pray for you right now. Jesus, I want to pray for my friends and also for me that we would be courageous in the face of whatever stress, whatever difficulties we're facing. That we would be builders of defiant gardens. Not defying you, but defying the the fallenness and its ability to change the cadence of our lives and alter us and to instead to submit before you, to be nourished, to be fed by you, by your word. May we learn to feast on your word. May we learn to pay attention to areas of goodness and truth and beauty that we can all be nourished by. And would you restore us into the original purpose you're made for? May we come out of this quarantine looking a little bit more like Jesus. A little bit more like human beings who know they're created for your glory and they've been redeemed, not to be religious, but to be alive. Shepherdess, Jesus. I ask this in the name of the Good Shepherd. Amen.